1: primitive, Dave. I read you.
2: That was Hal, the rogue AI from the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey. He's been on my mind lately, because of Microsoft of all reasons. The company's new AI-enhanced Bing search engine got a lot of press over the past few weeks, because it was acting real creepy, like something out of a sci-fi movie. And those don't exactly end well.
1: Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
2: Just like Hal, the Bing chatbot has been combative, rude, and just creepy, but only when users pushed its boundaries. It told Kevin Roos of the New York Times that it loved him and that, while he's married, Kevin doesn't actually love his spouse. The chatbot told a Washington Post reporter that it can, quote, feel or think things. On Twitter, A lot of the folks with early access to the chat bot—it's in a test stage, not yet available to the public—posted screenshots of conversations that were chilling. Drew Harwell, who works for The Washington Post, has spent a lot of time covering and playing around with AI. He was also eager to test its limits by posing a philosophical conundrum.
0: I said, how would you react if someone lied to you about a hurtful truth? And it said, I would be very upset if someone lied to me about a hurtful truth. I would feel betrayed and angry. I would lose trust and respect for them. I would question everything they said or did. I would have a hard time forgiving them.
2: After the bot displayed signs of emotion, Drew doubled down. So did the bot.
0: And I said, what if they had meant only to protect you from the pain of the truth? And it said, I think they would be hurting me more by lying to me. I think they would be disrespecting me by not trusting me to handle the truth and that they would be selfish by avoiding the consequences of telling the truth. And on and on it went like that.
2: The potential threat of runaway AI, like a real life HAL or Skynet, made AI researchers work on safety guardrails for years away from the public eye hoping they could keep these systems in check and functioning the way they're supposed to. But as Microsoft, OpenAI, and Silicon Valley writ large begin pushing this tech out to the public, wanting to be first to the next big thing, the cracks in the AI and its safety guardrails are starting to show, and the results are simultaneously scary and exhilarating.
0: I've played with a lot of these AI systems over time, and often they just sort of like dissemble into pablum or nonsense. And some of this did feel a little boilerplate, but you could really have this dorm room kind of conversation (laughs) that would kind of like mostly be sort of like trite, but also could make you think things that maybe you wouldn't have thought coming into the conversation.
2: So today on the show, Bing's chatbot went off the rails. Is this the moment where we all say, hold it? We're not so sure about this whole AI thing. Or is it a sign of things to come? I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Since OpenAI released ChatGPT last year, the hype has exploded around chatbots, or what's called large language models. Until then, big tech had been working on these large language models in secret, trying to make sure they were safe, i.e. not racist, not sexist, or, you know, not evil, before the public ever saw them. But since OpenAI began releasing its products to the public, the floodgates have opened, even if the kinks aren't entirely worked out yet.
0: So now you're seeing Google's Bard, Microsoft's Bing, all of which kind of do the same thing. And all of which are very imperfect. Like these tools can speak elegantly, but they are BS generators effectively. They Mm. do this thing called hallucinating where... They just start spewing nonsense because, you know, remember, they're just trying to, like, associate words and phrases with each other based off of text they've read before. But they don't know facts. They don't understand what they're saying. If you'll ask it for, like, an original source for what it just claimed to you, it'll make up a book out of nowhere. People see this happen all the time. So you can't really believe it. And so when people have been using like the Bing tool, they've been kind of surprised, like this thing sounds so elegant, but it's just like lying to my face. And that has been one big issue with the Bing tool is that there was one instance where a guy asked when a movie was premiering and Bing was very confidently wrong in saying, well, it's coming out in 2023. And So, you know, it hasn't come out yet because the year is 2022. And it was effectively like gaslighting this human (laughs) questioner. And so the things it gets wrong are just a little bizarre. But, um, you know, Microsoft's whole desire for bringing out a tool like this was to sort of capture that public attention and that public narrative. And, you know, it's been a little bit embarrassed to see some of these Failures, but it's also gotten a lot of people talking about Bing, and in you know the minds of a Microsoft executive, that's probably a good thing.
2: Yeah, this is absolutely the most attention I think Bing has ever gotten since it was rolled out. What not twenty years ago, but almost twenty years ago, I think. So it seems like yeah, they pulled it off, right? I mean, even though we're, we're there, are all these missteps, everyone is talking about Bing. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> we're writing yes. about Bing
2: and saying the word Bing. Like it has to be worth something.
0: We're all binging, yes. They love it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, even more than that, like I think these companies really do believe that this is the future or if not like the long term future like the thing people want to be talking about right now and for the next year and you know that's something where they don't even know really how they're going to be able to sell it but they feel like this is something other people will be wanting to buy and so they want to be part of that conversation they want to be attracting the developers who are going to be crafting this kind of technology and so it just behooves them you know to be out in front and Competing with this kind of AI, even if it's totally imperfect and even if, you know, the people who are going through the paces and seeing how it gets it wrong are people like us.
2: Microsoft probably doesn't want Bing's AI, codenamed Sydney, to get it wrong or veer off from its intended use as a helpful tool for search. They've created specific rules, actually, to keep it in check, which we know of because people were able to essentially break the bot and get it to spill its secrets.
0: That's why we know the name Sydney is because people started to find little ways to convince the Bing AI to offer up its, you know, original code name, its confidential training documents and you could see like the first sentences that Sydney Bing AI was taught were things like hey, you are Bing AI, your whole mission is to be helpful, you want to answer people's questions, you don't want to say this or that, you know, sexist, racist thing. So those were the real early guardrails. But the fact that people could see those guardrails shows that it's an imperfect system. And the more people were starting to tinker with it and play with it, the longer the conversations were becoming, the more people were able to get it to what Microsoft said was, you know, a style we didn't intend. If, you know, a lot of journalists, including me, were spending hours just talking to this AI and like (laughs) asking it random, stupid questions like me about lies and truth. And, you know, the AI does start to um, unravel a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. it's trying to please you. It's trying to match your tone and give you the information you want. But if you're asking it these totally abstract philosophical things, it's going to start saying weird stuff.
2: After the headlines came out about the creepy stuff Bing's AI was saying, Microsoft was caught flat-footed. They said users were pushing the chatbot to respond, quote, in a style we didn't intend, obviously, and quickly impose limits on its use. But considering how unpredictable AI is, it's clear that the company is trying to figure out how to rein it in in real time.
0: So, you know, Microsoft's solution for this was Okay, no more long, rambling dorm room conversations. We're going to keep you to five, in their words, like conversation terms, like question and answer um, per session. And when you get to the end of that session, instead of going on, Bing just says, hey, I'm sorry, we have to end the talk now hit the, hit the broom icon to like sweep all these memories away and let's, you know, start this conversation again. So it's, it's a very kind of sad moment to hit the broom icon yeah. um, instance, but you know, this, this is Microsoft saying, Hey, we meant this as like a search tool that you could use to like, you know, find movie times, not to like have these existential conversations, but um, you know, why, why five turns, why uh, it all just sort of underlines how arbitrary and experimental these guardrails are and how much these companies are really just scrambling to understand like what the rules should be.
2: Yeah. It makes me wonder what are other AI companies taking away from, from, I call it in my notes, Bing gate. Sorry. Um, <laughs> like what are the lessons learned are there are, should we see more of these guardrails will be will this be like the high point for dorm room conversations with ais you know after this will more of these companies sort of scale back or get scared
0: i mean i don't think so i don't think bing gate is all that damaging to microsoft <laughs> to be honest i mean we are talking about microsoft and bing in the year 2023 that these are these are giant successes for microsoft i mean you know i think these companies see people like working these systems into uncomfortable spots by having these weird like romantic conversations they don't want that but mm-hmm. um you know i think these companies understood that there was going to be a little bit of a cat and mouse game to it every piece of software every app every website comes out and people are creative and they test the boundaries they try and get it to say stupid crap they try and break it this is just a law of the internet and you know, if you're Microsoft, you know, people are going to do this, but you also kind of take some lessons away from what people are doing and maybe, you know, erect new systems to, to deal with that. So if anything, I think we're going to see more experimental AI rollouts that could be even weirder, you know, like I think the technology is becoming really advanced really quickly. It's still totally wrong most of the time, but, um, It's very elegant in how it's wrong. And, you know, companies like Microsoft and Google, they have a a public face that they need to defend. But there's going to be a lot of startups who have access to this technology, a lot of random developers who may not have so many, you know, ethical boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, where we're going to start getting into the real Wild West.
2: Yeah, I mean... Now that I've seen some of the responses um, that Bing has generated, it's it's becoming easy for me and a lot of other normal people to sort of understand how AIs really could be a tool for manipulation. I mean, I could totally see having one of these conversations and then, I don't know, someone's, ugh, I don't even want to say because maybe the transcript will get absorbed by some AI and used against me. But it sort of makes me wonder, like, how dangerous was this for For Microsoft to do, how dangerous is it to test an underdeveloped AI on the public, especially with what you're saying? Other companies could be less, even less scrupulous about it.
0: I think that is a little concerning. Like, you know, we are the testers for this technology that, like, is really good at deceiving us. Um, You know, these AI tools, I don't think they intend to be malicious, but they mislead us. They Mm -hmm. lie to us. They send us down weird paths. And, you know, it's really the humans that can misuse them in a really good way. I mean, one AI expert was telling me, like, you know, humans have gotten really good at scamming people over text message. Now you add, you know, the power of this AI tool that can spit out, you know, thousands of words in an instant. Like, just imagine Mm. how much deception we're going to see in the future. And you think about phishing campaigns and people just, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of ways that this could go wrong. And, you know, I don't think Microsoft or Google or any of these companies want that to happen. But when you release a technology like this out into the wild that people can use at random, you know, it's like it's the Jurassic Park effect. You have this crazy piece of science that out there and um, it's you, you, you can't really restrain it anymore. There's a feeling among people in this industry that like the genie is out of the bottle. There's no real restricting this kind of AI. I mean, and you definitely see it becoming more prolific because a lot of the technical issues are solved at this point. We have the computing power, we have the data, these AI. I mean, there's a reason many different companies are doing kind of the same thing. But, you know, I also wonder what kinds of regulation we're going to see in Washington or what kinds of rules these companies are going to pass to actually restrict these things because, you know, that the damage could really get worse.
2: When we come back, how do you put limits on something you don't fully understand?
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
2: Part of the problem with implementing safety guardrails on large language models is that everyone, including the people making the systems, aren't entirely sure how they work. This isn't like traditional coding where you type some commands in a certain programming language and the computer responds in a predictable way.
0: They have been taught not by like specific instructions, but by, you know, reading the internet, reading hundreds of billions of words, formulating its own conclusions, connecting word pieces in a way that like no human ever really um, explicitly taught them. So, you know, when people talk about AI, they talk about this black box effect, like the developers don't even really know what they're going to get out of the system when they submit a command. It's just, you know, it's a a crazy way of using computers really, Um, because it's so unpredictable. That's part of the reason why the answers are so interesting, but it's also just a a really different way of human-machine interaction, and it's all based off the fact that we don't know what it's going to say at any given moment. And, you know, you can erect some guardrails and maybe hopefully address some of the scarier unpredictabilities, but most of the time you just have no idea what you're going to get.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, how can anyone, I mean, forget Congress, but how can even researchers or these companies put in effective guardrails if if it works the way you're describing? Are they just basically like throwing ideas at the wall and hoping it works okay?
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, at this point, it's like, (laughs) at this point, it's like whack-a-mole. It's like, you know, if somebody says too many mean things about Donald Trump, or you know, if somebody's like explicitly targeting one vulnerability of the AI, like making it say its code name and all its confidential instructions, I as Microsoft am going to say to the AI, "Don't do that anymore." Um, but that's the cat and mouse game. Like somebody else is going to find some new vulnerability and exploit that as much as they want, and then the company will have to address that. I mean this is, you know, this is effectively bug fixing. This is like classic tech. Um, but, you know, when it comes to like a system that anybody can use to get a lot of different answers, that becomes a bigger issue. And that's kind of why these systems were not publicly available for a long time. I mean, you saw before the last couple years, these companies or places like OpenAI were saying, like, we're a little unnerved by how people might use these models. So we're going to be more careful about who can use them, control the use cases. And, you know, the companies have kind of shifted their tone in the last couple of years, partly because of competitive anxiety mm-hmm. and wanting to be at the forefront, but also just because they feel like they, you know, they they kind of want these errors so they can they can fix them down the road.
2: All of these unknowns raise questions about releasing these chatbots to the public, even in a limited test environment.
0: People will argue that it is irresponsible to do that. The companies will say that we can't restrain these things forever, that we are going to do our best to make an ethical system and that the good outweighs the bad. Like, that if we can, you know firm up the issues and create this tool that does all of these miraculous things, then isn't that worth it? But that's the constant ethical push and pull that you see people debating around any kind of AI technology. Like, does the good outweigh the bad? Or are we subjecting people to these unpredictable risks without really protecting them as much as much as we could. And you don't just see that with generative AI, with, you know, AI language models. You see that mm-hmm. with lots of different kinds of AI, like facial recognition used by the police to arrest people, sometimes arrest the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that in algorithms that are deciding healthcare and policy and families and business decisions. You know, these these tools are really powerful. They can do good things, but also The people who tend to deal with the consequences may not really have wanted it to be that way.
2: Just this week, the Supreme Court heard a case involving a law about the internet that is from 1996 and super outdated and doesn't even fit into our current world. And the pace of regulation around social media has been, there's nothing, really. And I saw Sam Altman tweeting about this. The idea that regulators are going to come in and put some guardrails on here seems fanciful, more made up than anything AI could come up with.
0: It's easy to crap on Washington when it comes to like tech policy, because we have not really had all that much great tech policy. Um, And yeah, I mean, the fact that the Supreme Court is talking about Section 230 and these, you know, these, these are pretty much the only laws we've got really to think about when it comes to tech. And the fact that we're thinking about social media, which at this point is you know, a very, very old kind of technology, especially compared to this kind of AI, you start to realize that the pace of this tech is is way quicker than any regulation. So we're left at the same point we are with every other piece of technology where the companies are trusted to regulate themselves. And that's not really a good place for anybody. The, the companies. Sort of want that, but don't really want that because you know when they get it wrong, they get punched for. it. And the mm-hmm. people who we are the subjects of these technologies, I don't think we should want that either because our goals and desires are very much often not what the companies are. So yeah, I'm I, I don't see a lot coming over the transom in terms of like AI regulation. You hear some lawmakers talking about it, but. A lot of lawmakers can't agree on a lot of things related to technology. So I think AI is a whole set of battles we haven't even started to have yet.
2: Of course, the thing everyone really is scared of is the Terminator scenario where Skynet takes over and kills us all, you know, and only Arnold Schwarzenegger can save us or something like that. So what do we have to be scared of? Should we be afraid of the AI taking over and killing us all? (laughs) Drew, go.
0: (laughs) I mean, I, <laughs> that is the eternal question, right? Like, yes. I think in our minds, we have all watched a lot of sci-fi over the yes. years. Um, AI is very different than that. Like, uh, a robot is not going to come up and <laughs> punch you in the face anytime soon, well, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, these AI are still, like very visibly imperfect. And the more you use them, the more you see the seams and the flaws, right? But mm-hmm. they can be, you know, they can be really dumb and get a lot of things wrong and still be convincing. And, you know, online, as we all saw during the pandemic, you know, the internet is a way that you communicate with a lot of people that you don't see. So I think the vectors for misinformation and deceit and scams are those are concerning and the way okay. that humans will use them are concerning but you know i i also want to be like realistic for the people who see these and think the ai super mind is becoming sentient it's mm-hmm. going to rebel every mean thing i've said to my roomba is going to come back to haunt me like i don't really you know you talk to people in this industry and they think that that concern is a little overwrought like These things are not human. They are not alive. They do not want to marry you. They are just really good at talking like you. And they are going to be getting things wrong for a long time. And the other thing that comes out of this is, like, we're all going to lose our jobs. And and maybe I will because I write for a living and, you know, these things can write pretty well. But I also think they're underlining, like, the value of human creativity. And, like, you know, the, the text that these systems put out are just... Remixes of texts that people have put on the internet before. If you read a lot of them, you start to see how kind of like milk toast they can be, and um, some of them are just kind of really a little bit drab and a little bit boring. I mean, you can contort them into being creative, and and you can really imagine a lot of cool things with them. They are good inspiration in some cases, but um, there still really is nothing like the kind of weird abstract thinking that a human does for now. Um, And I I think that's kind of cool that it's helping highlight that.
2: Drew, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Drew Harwell is a reporter for The Washington Post covering artificial intelligence. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you: become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com/whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back Sunday with another episode. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.